Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. The relief pitcher didn't like Soto staring right. at him while he was staring at him. And said, yeah. get out of here. Then Soto <laughs> greeted him with a home run. Then yesterday, a year later, that same pitcher drilled Soto. And so this is revenge for Soto, right? That's how you read it. That's it how we to. have to read it. It is, and I guess that's the one thing you take away from this is that everybody on the Nets has one job right now. Keep Juan Soto Keep happy. Soto. That's, that's your exactly only job. Right. Keep Soto that's right. and keep him happy. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. Alrighty then, before we go into the bulk of the show, I just want to make sure, Sean, we are connected perfectly because yep. in the open then there was a little bit of a blip. We didn't hear Richie for about a half a second. We are all set. Okay, that's good. We have a new sponsor. Later on in the show, we're going to get to the sponsor. The is this sponsor, the live read? This is this is not a live read. Okay. We will do a I just live just didn't know read. where we were with the show. Plants to Porch. <laughs> Michael, can you explain our relationship with Plants to Porch and what you have done? Well, this came up through the vetting process, and Plants to Porch is a service that will send uh, plants to your porch, but these are not plants that you have to worry about. These are plants that are, are designer plants that are made out of, I think it's a silk fabric or a silk-like fabric. And so you don't have to worry about, do I have the right window? Do I have the light watering uh, You know, schedule? What happens if I go out of town for a month? It, it, it will look great. It'll look in season forever. So we have one that I have here in the living room. It has beautiful white flowers on it. It's called it, an orchid. It looks real. Got to keep it at 75. It's not real. Yeah, don't let him pitch. Don't <laughs> throw him out, out the there humidity. to pitch. Don't throw him out there to pitch. He could have thoracic problems. Anyway, we got this note from Pat Dealey, who is the director of PlantsToPorch.com. He says, we here at PlantsToPorch.com are so thankful to become the official faux flower and permanent botanicals of the TK Show. We're family business and assembly and assemble our products here in our shop in Louisville, Kentucky. So they probably, you know, they probably know Brandon. It's like not that far away, Louisville to Lexington. Can they confirm the crickets? Cue the Wilbon name drop or the David Aldridge moment. This family business happens to be a family friendly. Anyway, we are just over the moon to join the TK Show sponsorship team. Your plant struggles are well documented, and we are here to help. Use the code people. And that's from Pat Dealey. That's just very nice. I should have read this last week, but that, now we're actually going to be sponsored by them today. So that's very and nice. I have, and I have a confession to make with regards to the package that you received that I will save for the live read later in this show. That's fine. Do you have my scorecard in front of you? Did I you, do not have your scorecard. you score give it card. back? Yeah, it's behind you. I had, I will just say this. I'm going to do this briefly. And this hole is... Hole by hole. No, I'm not going to go hole by hole. I'm going <laughs> to say... Skip over 17. I'm, I'm going to say at the beginning of the show that this is, this is golf when you're not a good player. And I'm not a good player. There are moments I have that are good. All of the good moments that I have ever had came together on Saturday. All of the good moments. All of the luck that I needed, avoiding traps, getting a good bounce, laying up to the green, all everything. I made one bad shot the whole day. One bad shot. I careered it. I had the greatest round of my life. On Saturday. Now, I played from the gold tees. Those are the senior tees. The appropriate tees. Appropriate tees for my age, except the par threes and a couple of par fours I played from the member tees. But I had the greatest round of my life. And, and, it, it's, and at, at my age, it's unbelievable that I had the greatest round of my life. It really is. I, don't, I can't explain it other than to say how grateful I was. I went back on Sunday, yesterday. I played with different people. 
But I'm the same player. I use the same sticks. I use the same golf ball. I played the same course. I was 18 shots worse. 18 shots worse in one day. I went into traps. This is not even possible. It's not possible. I went into traps on 3, 4, 5, 7, 9, 10, 11, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. Five, the last five holes in a row, I was in the sand. And I didn't even play that badly. You know, I just, this is what happens. This is what happens. You went into a sizable amount of traps relative to the overall amount on the course. Oh, my God. I went into 12 different traps on, on 18 holes, 12 different traps. What is the most swing you've ever had playing golf? Not, not, not that when you were a kid. Now, you're an, you're an adult, and you play golf, and you're a good player. What's at, at this point, it can't be. I would say this. It can be up to 15. It's hard to believe, but there's been times in the last year and a half, two years, where a bad round, new course, I've shot in the low 80s. And if you try and, you know, if you look at that versus the high 60s, there's your 15 right there. I was 18 shots worse. I had the same amount of fun. I was 18 shots worse. I shot, you know, I shot mid-90s. What was your birdie count on Saturday? I had three birdies and, and two of the hardest holes on the course. But I play from the up tees. I play from the up tees. I have an advantage over regular people. The queen is now a birdie hole for you. Yes, it is, because, it, because you're, you're cutting off 80 yards on the yeah, drive. It took you a while to figure out what I was doing there. Yeah, that's number 11. That's, you know, yeah, that's right. So anyway, I wanted to say that, and now I'll get to the real show. Although I guess I should mention, before we get to the real show, which is a football show, I guess I should mention Warrior Guard Max Scherzer, who took a, perfect, a perfecto into the eighth inning yesterday against San Diego, a team that is a playoff team or fighting to become a playoff team. Scherzer went eight. Did he go eight with no runs and nine strikeouts and reach 3,000 strikeouts? He's the 19th major league pitcher to ever get to 3,000 strikeouts, and he's going to obviously pitch for a while, and he's going to be much higher than 19th on that. For those of you, I don't know how. You don't have to watch deeper into the game than the second inning. Where he, it was an immaculate inning, nine pitches, nine strikes. That's it. It's the second time he's ever yeah. done that. It's so rare that pitchers do that. Nine, nine Particularly pitches, Particularly for nine a pitcher strikes, like, like Scherzer, where early in the game, he has some you know, pitch count that gets up, and he, and he has a lot of long at-bats. So we give Scherzer all the credit in the world for doing that. My, hear, my hearing, this thing, all right, I'm connected Did again. Did you watch any of the Yankees-Mets series? I watched a little bit when they had the FDNY, you know, when they had the hats on from the police and the firemen. I watched it. Interestingly enough, I mean— 9-11, we're going to talk to Sally Jenkins later about 9-11, but I will say this. There was a very interesting commemorative symbol of 9-11 at Columbia on Saturday, on the actual day of 9-11. On the ninth hole and the 11th hole, there were American flags instead of the regular pin flags. And you had to, you know, you, you had to step back for a second and understand the pattern to it. It was really quite touching. I felt it was quite touching. There was also a flyover at my house on Friday... There was a flyover in Washington, and I was able to look out the window and into the sky and see two of the four planes that went over the house, you know, at, I assume at almost supersonic speeds. I mean, they're going very fast. Let me get to the other news. Um, the news is football, and the, the essence of the news is thank God that football is back. That's the essence of the news. The NFL is back, not just college football. The NFL is back. I have circled seven games. Of note, one is the Steelers and the Bills. Down goes Buffalo in Buffalo. 
The Steelers, who closed the year last year as a terrible team, even though they were 11-0 at one point, they were terrible, and Roethlisberger could not throw the ball more than four yards. Roethlisberger threw the ball well, and the Steelers beat the Bills, who were you know, a lot of people's pick from the AFC, to upset Kansas City and go to the Super Bowl. Bills go down. The Bengals, with Joe Burrow, who was hurt for like eight or nine games last year, out for the duration of the season after he got hurt. Joe Burrow had one of the greatest years in the history of college football, the year he had as a senior in LSU, undefeated national champions, much like Cam Newton, much like Mac Jones, undefeated national champions. Joe Burrow was wonderful yesterday. Minnesota tied the game on like a 53-yard field goal on the last play of the game, and Cincinnati prevailed in overtime. And once again, once again, Kirk Cousins lost a game. So he didn't do everything he could for his team? I don't think so, because he didn't win. I will mention the Jets and the Panthers only because the Jets still stink. It's like the Giants still stink and the Jets still stink. And it doesn't matter who the rookie quarterback is. You know, the, the guy who they traded away to Carolina, not a good team, a 5-11 and team last year. Carolina won that game because the Jets are terrible. In games of true consequence, the Browns lost to the Chiefs yesterday. Um, Baker Mayfield had a real good first half, didn't have a real good second half, had a good, not a good second half, threw an interception late. Patrick Mahomes made, made up a 10-point deficit, at least 10 points, and Kansas City won that game. Kansas City, to me, looks like the strong team in the AFC. The Dolphins beat the Patriots yesterday in New England. Tua was okay. Mac Jones was okay. For a kid who'd never played in the NFL one snap in a regular season, Mac Jones was okay. The Patriots should have won that game. Damian Harris fumbled. Nigel, was it inside the 20? They were driving for a score. I think it was the nine-yard line. Okay, they were driving for the score that was going to win that game. At the very worst, it was going to be a field goal. At the very worst, they were going to win 19-17, to and they may very well have won 23-17. to And the kid fumbled, and that was it. The Packers, and Will Bunn will talk about this, he will talk about the fact that he thinks that Aaron Rodgers had the worst day. Like the, the headline of all the games is Aaron Rodgers stunk. Stunk the joint out against New Orleans in Jacksonville because you couldn't play in New Orleans. And Jameis Winston, as predicted by somebody on this show, I said all along, what do you mean, Taysom Hill? No, no, no. Jameis Winston is an NFL quarterback. He's a national champion. Yes, he threw three interceptions. He won't throw 30 with Sean Payton. Sean Payton's great. He knows how to look at a person's skill set and play to the skill set. And in the second half, you could see what the threat of the run does when he then can open up and throw that touchdown. Jameis Winston played great, and Aaron Rodgers, the reigning MVP, played like a Biggest dog. Biggest loss as, with him as a starter in terms of score differential. Yeah. 38-3. And one other game, again, predicted by me, I told you when the Rams traded for Matthew Stafford. And Jared Goff was very good yesterday for Detroit. Very good. Detroit was much closer than they should have been in that game against San Francisco. I said when they traded for Matthew Stafford that he would win the MVP and the Rams would go to the Super Bowl. And a lot of people, like Michael Wilbon, laughed at me. They went 34-14 yesterday over the Bears. That stadium's beautiful. SoFi Stadium. That's where the Super Bowl will be this year. That's beautiful. And Stafford was great. Like, first play of the game, he threw a touchdown. It's like a 60-yard touchdown, 70-yard touchdown. It's like he's finally been unleashed. First play of the game. This guy's he's in his mid-30s. He's going to have 
two or three great years with the Rams. God, he's been around forever, though. I mean, yes. I was thinking about this with yes. Fitzpatrick on a before, bad he gets, team. before he got injured. When you think about just the number of teams he's played for, no, you just look at the amount of years, and I'm thinking about all those late-minute spring drives that Stafford tried to put up with like Calvin Johnson. You're like, he's been around forever. Because they were always losing. Because Detroit is the is since the Super Bowl era, Detroit is the worst franchise in the NFL. They have made the playoffs long enough to have a one and twelve record in the playoffs. They've never gotten to the Super Bowl. Cleveland has never gotten to the Super Bowl. Cleveland's playoff record is much better than that, and they are the only two teams who were around when the Super Bowl era started to not get to the Super Bowl. Just those two. And Detroit is decisively worse than Cleveland over that period of time. It's really amazing. Nigel, you're back from the U.S. Open. I am. Do you have any particular thoughts on who on the, on the women's draw and the men's draw? Well, I, I think the women's draw was, um, was brilliant. I mean, to see the two teenagers there, and obviously Emma Raducanu from, from my home country uh, winning, didn't, yes, didn't drop us. Didn't drop a set. I, I think that, that needs to be nope. said. Did not drop a set. First qualifier. Didn't go to a tie break. Yeah. No, she, she was clean and played qualifiers. So 10 matches through. It's one of the, the great yep. runs of all time. And, and then to watch Djokovic come up short, I know this sort of seems like, oh, I had this call. But, uh, but really, uh, looking at the way Medvedev was playing throughout the summer and how he plays on that surface, it was not a huge surprise that he won. But it was a big surprise that he won in straight sets the way he did. So, so yeah. I would tell you it's a huge surprise that he won, that the other guy was going for the actual Grand Slam, and the other guy was seeded one, and the other guy had beaten him in a final earlier this year in the Aussie. I would tell you it was a big surprise. Djokovic is considered in the running for the greatest tennis player of all time, and Medvedev is a guy. He's well, a guy. No, he's not a guy. No, he's, he's very good. He's not now a guy. Well, I, I think now today you could say he is. And every, everyone that you talked to up there, that was sort of the quiet word that, yeah, that Medvedev is a guy that, that we really think could, could win this thing. So, I mean, it's still a surprise because Djokovic is, as you said, one of the greats of all time. But he also, he had a, a well, ton of Let's matches. ask ourselves this question. How many, counting yesterday, how many majors <laughs> has Medvedev won? It's one, isn't it? It's one. It yeah, so how many has Djokovic won? It's 20, isn't it? It is. Yes. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> the witness is excused. <laughs> we will take a break. Really did sound like you put him on trial there. We will return. <laughs> Where were you for the Michael, last two and a half weeks? We'll return with Michael Wilbon. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the plans to porch read. This is the live read. Here we go. Remember when it was the middle of the summer and you lost the battle with your houseplants waving the white flag as they perished in the heat? Or perhaps you have a barren corner of living room or office that desperately needs some vibrancy. Maybe you have a podcast and you're on the verge of going back to your recording studio full-time and you could use some furnishing. That is a targeted message, isn't this it? The copywriter gets it. You need to go to plantstoporch.com. Plants to Porch is a family-owned business with 35 years in the faux florals and silk tree industry. Removing the middleman and going straight to the consumer. A beautiful way to give your home a fresh breath of life. Now, we already read that letter earlier. I am staring at the plant beyond Chessie, who is asleep on a chair. 
Yes, go ahead. So along with the orchid, they sent a beautiful traveler palm. I'm talking something straight out of you know Jurassic Park. It's about seven feet tall. And you were, you were angling to get this thing. Do you think I could fit into the car to go to the beach? Everyone in my house was like, no, 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 try, it won't fit. So We, we want that it. plant. It's now our plant. Okay, you can keep it. That's fair. You can keep it. You bring it to your new house. How are you going to get it there? I was hoping to borrow your car. No chance of that. Go to plantstoporch.com and enter the code TONYK at checkout to get 20% off your first order. It's a good deal. Plants to Porch, P-L-A-N-T-S-T-O-P-O-R-C-H.com. Use the promo code TONYK at checkout to get 20% off and use the code, people. You're listening, You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Ruth would hit those homers after eating 50 francs. And what a sight it was seeing Hammer and Hank. Earl Campbell ran right over you just like a Sherman tank. Mr. Tony did a seven minute plank. Seven minute plank. Seven minute plank. Mr. Tony did a seven minute plank. Like the Beatles at the Cavern Club, the young girls are a screaming. He rises off the floor and hovers like Bob Beeman. <laughs> On the 18th hole, Tiger Woods would never hit a shank. Koufax in the seventh game, take it to the bank. This show stinks, it has stunk, and yesterday it stank. Mr. Tony did a seven-minute plank. Seven-minute so plank, seven-minute plank. Mr. Tony did a seven-minute plank. This, of course, is the great Dan Byrne. Um, tomorrow night, Dan Byrne and Brandon Costello will be at the Pearl Street Warehouse in town. And he writes, if folks say lachiserie at the door, they can roll a paradise. If they come up 7 or 11, they will get in for free, limit of 10. And he will play Ante Tecumpo, Uncle Benny's Table, lachiserie, among other songs. The great Dan Byrne plays in Michael Wilbon. Let's start with, um, let's start with the tennis. Because I know that you and I have watched tennis for all of our lives. You've played it a little bit. Your thoughts on what is the denial of a great player, Mm. the Grand Slam, the actual Grand Slam, and the emergence of a teenage girl who was ranked 338th in the world the week before Wimbledon. And she just won the U.S. Open. Take him in any order you want. Well, the emergence of two teenage girls, Tony, and, that, and it's more than yeah, that. But yeah. Those two, those two were extraordinary. I, Djokovic is the news. I mean, that's the news of tennis. He eclipsed the the young women who who played the finals uh, exquisitely. And the Djokovic thing is major news because it, it just it looked like until Friday when he had to play that five setter that you know Djokovic was going to do this, and Rod Laver was in the audience, and they showed right. Rod Laver. I, I presume his wife every day, and for somebody of my age, it's just to see Rod Laver. I mean, that's like seeing yeah. Ted Williams, you know, to see Rod Laver at the U.S. Open sitting there. Um, and then Friday night, um, when he had to when he had to play five sets, I, I, I just thought, okay, you know, Zverev was you know capable of, of beating Djokovic. I mean, John McEnroe said at the beginning of the tournament, Zverev and Medvedev. And I don't. And John said, "I don't know if he can beat both of them." That was the like you know, they, one of them could have been taken out by somebody else, and then Djokovic wouldn't have to do that because those guys are capable. 
is not that they're necessarily as good as Djokovic, but they're they're you know they're a hangnail from being as good. They're just on the they're just on the outside of Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. And to go five sets, you know, in your thirties, and to then have to do it, you know, uh, come back and beat the better of the two on Sunday was just too bad, too much. And so tennis tennis could have used Djokovic historically because um, it's been the same three dudes for twenty years, and a sport can't really thrive on that. Um, you got to have people coming up in the pipeline who folks want to see and who people believe can be the best in the sport. And so watching it yesterday, I, I was saddened, you know, by the absence of this. Um, and Djokovic, who's a brilliant player, and he's still the best player in the world. And, I, you know, Tony, yes. I don't no, – nobody's done this since 1969, okay? So it's 52 years. But I think Djokovic will have another shot. It may be I like agree with Serena you. in that, you know, he can get close like she has gotten close, but can't do it. But I think Djokovic could have another shot. But when he was crying into that towel, I, I you know, I've sort of taken a turn on Djokovic as a tennis player. Um, I think he's right there with Nadal and Federer. I do. And so when he was crying into that towel at the changeover of 4-5, it was clear he knew he couldn't do it. It wasn't in him, and, and this, this, this great, great, great historical moment for all of sport, specifically his sport, was going was gonna to go by the boards. No, you're, you're right. He is going to have another chance. Serena is done. She's had three or four chances yeah. to do this. She's done. More than that. Um, I, um, the reason he'll have another chance is because Federer and Nadal are done. They're, They're done. done. Uh, right. And so, and Djokovic shows no signs of being done. So he will have he will have another chance. But the young girls, the, the difference is the difference is we don't know. Wilbon and I have watched a lot of tennis over a lot of years. We don't know if we will ever see these two again in a final. We don't know that. That's right. We don't know because they came out of such nowhere. One was ranked seventy second. One was ranked one hundred and fiftieth going into this. The woman who won this tournament had to qualify. This has never been done in a major ever, ever. So what you don't know sets in a row, right? She didn't. She didn't drop any sets and never went to a tiebreak. So what you don't know is was this her? Was this it? You don't know. What do you think? You know, Tony. You you don't, and you don't even know for Fernandez. These women were brilliant for two weeks. No, they were just they were brilliant on the court, and then they they boosted the sport. They're 18 and 19. They boosted the sport. Yep. They brought glory to a sport. And by the way, let me just say that, you know, I think the person who looks greatest in all of this is Serena Williams because she had the staying power of 20 years. Yes. Women's, women's tennis. Yes. We are very entertained. They're often just, I mean, young, young women who you, you say to yourself, oh, my God, I'd like to see her do this for 20 years. 20, they, they can't even get very often, and this is sad, through three or four years. We, we see what has befallen Osaka. I've, I've said this several times. My favorite player over the last two weeks, over the, over the last year or so now with Osaka, and we get there's a litany. Osaka's not the only young. Sloane Stevens, 
we can we can we can sit here and put together off the top of our heads a list of twenty young women who, because of I mean various reasons, and Chris Everett spoke so eloquently to this, having been one of the ones who who, who made it, who had the staying power of twenty years, and so I, you know, as great as the joy was with which. Fernandez and Raducanu played. We don't know, Tony. Like you said, don't know. we don't know if we're going to see know. them play. You know, you, you wanted to say yesterday, okay, they're 17 and 18. They are brilliant. They are charismatic. They, they lift their sport. And we don't even know if we're going to see e- both. We don't even know if we're going to see either, given the state. Like Raducanu, like what's going to happen with the British tabloids and all the stuff that she's got to face? At 18, and her her poise and her eloquence, not not just being articulate, she's eloquent. My God, after I could have listened to her talk for an hour. She's 18, and yet, you know, a part of me sad. I, as much joy as I had watching them, I, you know, who knows what's going to befall them? And it's just, it's, it makes me sad. Uh, we'll move off that because I agree with everything you said. How was the Curry event? And tell the people who you oh watched God. the Tampa Bay Dallas game with. Yeah, I mean, eat, learn, play is the is the Curry. Um, Stephen and Aisha, his wife, um, they have this foundation that is. It's been a, they created it like two years ago, so they created it like the summer. I don't know if created, but it, it got going in the summer of nineteen. Eat, learn, and play. It's it's that simple. This is what. They want children to be able to do. It is, yes, centered in the Bay Area and Oakland and San Francisco. And they started this, or they, it got going in 19. And, and, you know, they asked for some support. And everybody, because it's Steph Curry, anybody essentially who was asked, it seemed to me, said, yeah, what time do you want me? And the, the, first, fund, the first huge fundraiser was in the fall of 19. And then you go into a pandemic. What can you do? And what Steph and his wife did was, set up something that people would join that so far has, so far, again, it's two years old, helped distribute, plan, execute, distribute 17 million meals. 17 million. 17, 17 million. million. And people, people saw what they were doing in the Bay Area. Well, you, you, look, you, let's face it, you have resources. Well, you, got, you, got, you got some of the richest people right, congested That's right, right. in Northern California. That's right. right? That's right. And, and, and Workday, I mean, Anil Bouchry, the, the, the founder and chairman of Workday, and people are now aware of Workday, came to the aid, said, let's partner. This is so extraordinary. Let, let's partner. So you bring on, you know, this billionaire of an inventive, creative, brilliant dude and his resources, and you team them with Steph and Aisha Curry, and you get, then you get other people. Who's the face of Workday? Phil Mickelson, Right. I mean, that's right. You, so now you start to bring in some of the biggest and most famous, um, and, and, and I don't know, charitably minded athletes in America. And so Peyton Manning says, "Yeah, uh huh, yep, I'm, I'm, I'm in." And Phil Mickelson and Larry Fitzgerald and you know Brant Snedeker and Matt Kuchar and all these guys were there. And, and and they you know they lent their 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 name and their efforts and their brands to say yes yeah, seventeen meals seventeen million meals let's 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 double that let's go 
And wow, we, it, the event was at Harding Park. I went again because I saw the last time I seen Steph Curry was at was Thanksgiving of twenty. Um, at the, you know at the at the match with him and Barkley and Phil. And yep. Hayden. Yep. And um, I, I said, Steph, what you, this is a pandemic. What are you going to do? We're going to try to do it again. We're going to do it again. The moment we can, we're going to do it again. And he said. Can you get out there? And I said, yeah, yes. And Amanda Balionis, who is much better at that sort of thing than me, and I, we, the two of us, you know, said, yeah. And um, so Thursday night there was a dinner <laughs> at Neil Bushby's house, and the people I mentioned were there. Um, and when we're all, in the, we're all in the room, we're sort of watching the game, with just this incredible conversation going on. A side note, San Francisco, to me, I've been to all the big, the big blue cities. I've been to all of them except Boston. And, so, and multiple times, I'm talking Chicago, Washington, L.A., New York. I've been to all of them. And San Francisco by far was hit the hardest in my estimation. It's San Francisco, which is maybe my favorite city in America, was just depressing at what has is, what is hit San Francisco. And we could do another whole segment on that, so I won't get too sidetracked. But we're talking that the conversations about what is going on in the world, and you forget, you can forget because they're involved in sport, and we watch them so closely do their thing. You just forget how what, what's, how smart people like Peyton Manning and Larry Fitzgerald and Phil Mickelson and all of them, Steph, we you forget how smart they are and how of the world they are, how connected, how aware, and that's the conversation until there's about four minutes left, and somebody says. Yeah, you better sit down and watch Tom Brady because he's going down the field. He's going to get a chance to go down the field. And you, everybody in that room sits to watch Tom Brady. And everybody in that room, in that context, has to start with Peyton Manning and Larry Fitzgerald, right? Sure. I mean, sure. It, sure. Football out, players. You know, sure. And you sit sure. and you watch it. And I'm, I'm between them. And I, I just thought, in real time, I just thought, this is one of the coolest things I have ever done in my life in terms of the, in the context of the professional context. It's not like, you know, seeing the birth of your child. But I mean, in the, in the, in the context of guys who listen to people talk about sport and, and watch sport, I'm watching Tom Brady go down the field with Peyton Manning and Larry Fitzgerald. It was just, it was just spectacular for me. Particularly, maybe maybe even more than for anybody in that room. And then people in that room are captains of industry, new industries. They're CEOs. Tony, I, I don't have a, a note in front of me with names right now. They're just a brilliant guy who went to Georgetown, grew up in D.C. Um, you know, there are people there that I, I could connect with. Chris O'Donnell was there. Chris O'Donnell, who grew up in Chicago and went to my rival high school, went to, went to Loyola. And we talked about all that, Catholic school boys going to, you know, growing up in Chicago and, and sitting there and being able to watch this. And Chris O'Donnell is often at charity events. Chris O'Donnell is a charitable dude. That means, you know, signing some checks. Um, and so this is what happened out there, and the event was great itself. But the run-up, <laughs> for, for me, that on the first weekend of football this year is just wild. And then they get out there and they raise it. Steph Curry can st- Steph Curry has impact in Washington D.C. Steph Curry has put millions of dollars. In. I mean, the Howard golf team that that, that effort. That's him. People are looking at his That's effort him. now yeah. at Howard University, which he has yeah. no connection yeah. to more so than say me. 
in that if you are of African descent in America, you, there's someone close to you, usually many someones, several. I don't care where you live now. You know, my, my aunt was, my, well, yeah, my aunt was dean of the Howard Nursing School for 20 years. We all have that. And so because Steph Curry has put his resources to use with the Howard golf team, now you have other people coming in and saying, well, let's do this elsewhere. Let's do this in other places. And I told Steph, I said, dude, you, your, your work is reverberating in Washington, D.C. And so, you know, this is why I wasn't on PTI Friday, and this is why I was in San Francisco Thursday, because I think this is, worth, I, this is worth whatever yeah. time anyone asks me to donate. You're 100% right. And the psychic benefit you got was you watched Tom Brady make the winning drive sitting with Larry Fitzgerald (laughs) and Peyton Manning, who are going to Canton. Uh, And and you watched that. I mean, that's that's tremendous. That's tremendous. It is. It's tremendous. We don't, we, you know, you think you have access. Look, I have access to Larry Fitzgerald all the time. We we are friends. I grew up with his dad in Chicago. We are friends, and we have been, even in, in. Larry, Larry Fitzgerald's a fascinating dude. People have no idea. And I know they're saying now, well, why isn't Larry playing? Because Larry's, what, 36, 37? He, he, he reached the Super Bowl that they should have won against Pittsburgh. Maybe, arguably, the greatest game in Super Bowl history. I know you like that play by the big dude. The greatest play I've went, ever seen in football. Harrison. Right. It's the greatest Harrison. play I've ever Harrison. seen. Yeah. But, but Larry, Fitzgerald, yeah. Larry Fitzgerald is a dude of the world. He, 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 he travels like... He can backpack across Africa. No, not can, has. And so when I'm with Larry Fitzgerald, I don't talk to him about football. I really, I really don't. He's, he goes to see the part owner of the Phoenix Suns, and we talk about all kinds of sport, yes, but we talk about the world. And Larry, Larry's having that time in his life already where he's like, okay, I'm a curious guy. What are my passions? What is it that I'm prepared to do? And is football it? He could go back. There are people calling him right now who want him to play. He could go back to play, to play for the Cardinals, even though yesterday they might not have needed him quite as much. But Peyton Manning, Peyton Manning, you can talk to about just anything and everything, that's and that's what we did until somebody said, might have been Peyton, hey, Tom's going down the field. Do we want to watch this? It's <laughs> so cool. Do we that's so cool. Watch that's this? so cool. It's, it's just, just so cool. It really All right, I'll... I'll talk to you later. Good for you. Talk to you later. Michael Wilbon, boys and girls. Michael Wilbon. We will take a break. Sally Jenkins will join us when we return. She will talk about uh, just a beautiful, beautiful piece of work she had in the Washington Post yesterday, right? Was it yesterday? The Sunday paper on her remembrances of 9-11. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. So this is the Air Doctor ad. I have Air Doctor. It is in my kitchen. It is usually, you know, it, it's an air filtration system, right, Michael? That's yeah. what it is. And when it has to work hard, it, it's normally on the blue color. When it has to work hard, it goes to orange and to red, and it makes a lot more noise, and it filters the air. And I'm fascinated by this thing. I'm really happy to have it. Allergies, so, like, if you have allergies and the frustrations that come with that, if you live on the West Coast where the wildfire season has become the norm, if you live in a big congested city where the air quality is bad, if your pet, Chessy, brings the outdoors into the indoors, if your kids or grandkids, Bootsy and the Hammer, bring 
who knows what kind of germs in the house, if household cleaning products have dangerous fumes, all of these things, all of these things, if you have Air Doctor by Uncle Benny's table or in the kitchen, that helps you stay safe. The reason you've got to check out Air Doctor, Air Doctor makes professional quality air purifiers that remove both particles and toxic gases. Air Doctor uses medical grade ultra HEPA filters that have been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested bacteria and virus, an important word, plus virtually everything else, including pollen, dust, and smoke. The Air Doctor captures 100% of particles at 0.003 microns in size. That's 100 times more effective than ordinary purifiers. Americans spend 90% of our time indoors, and according to the EPA, indoor air can actually be two to five times more polluted than outdoor air. And there's no need to worry about noise because Air Doctor uses their exclusive professional whisper jet fans that are 30% quieter than fans found in ordinary air purifiers. And I will tell you that out at the beach, I have something to take the humidity out of the air, which sounds like a train. It just sounds like a train. Whereas the Air Doctor, there's this vague hum and you go, oh, what's that? That's it's the changing Air changing light. It's, 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 I'm so happy I got this. I really, it's nothing I ever thought I would want. And when I got it and Michael said, I was so this happy is really to see good. you unbox it yourself and set it up. This is really good. I'm so happy we got it. Um, it was very easy to set up. I can tell it's working, especially when I'm cooking. You can, because it, it goes to orange and to red and filters out all that stuff. And it's hard to believe how much less dust there is on the floors and on the furniture. Air Doctor comes with a no questions asked, 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund. Go to airdoctorpro.com. Use the promo code TONY. You'll receive up to $300 off. That's right, up to $300 off. But only if you go to airdoctorpro, A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O, airdoctorpro.com. Use the promo code TONY. Use the code, people. This, this is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. This is James McDougal in Rapine or Rayfine, Virginia. I don't know. He said, you hit the trifecta on the last show you did. Gambling won't do it because the juice isn't worth the squeeze. Winning offers little joy while losing makes me, let's just say, very, very unhappy with myself. Tennis, tour players who abuse the rules at the cost of sportsmanship. We might as well give them all a nickname of something we're not going to say on the air. And golf. Any professional tournament that handicaps the scores of scratch players. Cumulative, schmulative. Schmumulative. So with that background, here are a couple of homemade jingles that are a fun catharsis for me when the sports entertainment has let me down. This comes from a CD called Where's the Time Gone? This is called Texas Star. And again, James McDougall. Michael, if James McDougall and people like him want to send us the music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at com. Okay, so Sally Jenkins joins us now. And you've heard me praise her a million times. I mean, you've, you've heard this. You haven't heard me say probably that the first time I met Sally, she was, I don't know, a junior or a senior at Stanford. I was in California. Who were you playing tennis with when David and I showed up? Was somebody. I've forgotten this a long, long time ago. You probably don't remember this, and I do, that you were playing tennis on a court in California, and you were a junior and senior in Stanford. Did it ring a bell at all? You know, what rings a bell is the steak dinner that you bought me um, because I never got steak in those days. You guys, oh. took me out to, you took me out to dinner. Right, right. I remember that. I, I'm not sure I remember the tennis, 
because yeah. um, I was a pretty good smoker in those days. So if I was playing tennis, I wasn't playing it well. Well, I thought you were pretty good, actually. And it was, I was impressed that it was at some, somebody's house and they had their own tennis court. I was impressed by that. So it's a long, it is a long, long time ago, okay? And Sally wrote a piece in the paper yesterday, Sunday. And I got a note early in the morning from Jeannie McManus. And she said, you've got to read Sally. I didn't want to. I didn't want to get involved in 9-11 commemorative stories. But I read this. It's spectacular. And I got a note from Tori Clark said, Sally Jenkins is an artist. An artist. So this is very, very high praised. It is, it is your memories of the exact moment of 9-11 and what you did that exact day. And the first question I wanted to ask, and I don't mean to do this in a flip way, did you want to write the piece? Did you debate with yourself, should I write this piece? Or did you say, no, I'm in. I'm in on this one. You know, I've been trying to write the piece for 20 years, and I didn't know how because uh, I couldn't sort out, you know, all the, all the feelings about it. And, um, uh, you know, just revisiting it is obviously always pretty tough. But mm-hmm. uh, it's funny, Dan Steinberg, uh, my editor, called up and said, you know, do you want to write something for the 9-11 anniversary? And I said, a sports column? You know, no. Um, I said, there's one little thing I've been wanting to try to write, and I'll give it a shot. And if it's if it's just really stupid and really bad, you know, you have to promise me we'll spike it. Um, so that's really how it came about. Uh, it's weird. I'd been I'd had a bunch of false starts. There have been other anniversaries over the years where I thought, do I want to try to write this about 9/11? And I'd write maybe two or three paragraphs and quit. The bicycle is, this, is the metaphor for the piece. Can you tell the people about the bicycle and how you get into the piece? So the bicycle is what I wanted to write about because I had a really interesting experience that day that uh, I knew was um, kind of important and, uh, about the day, uh, but I couldn't put my finger on exactly what it was. And uh, so I, I ran all over town because uh, there was no trouble, public transportation, and I grabbed a, note, a notepad and... Uh, a driver's license and a $20 bill and my, my post ID. And I was assigned to go to a hospital and see if there were any survivors. And um, they weren't coming in. And so then I, I, there was really nobody. There were all these doctors lined up on the sidewalk with gurneys and just not a single victim or survivor coming in. And so then I started running around talking to people coming up out of the smoke. And um, I probably ran six miles, all told. I ran from the Washington Post Bureau on 57th Street you know, all the way down below into the financial district, which um, I think with all the looping around probably was about six miles. And I was so tired and so sore, uh, foot sore, and uh, needed to get back uptown to file my notes um, in the bureau and uh, really was having a hard time facing the run all the way back uptown. So I went in this bike shop on 14th Street, which was just called a bike shop, and there was one guy in there. It was totally empty except one guy. And I said, listen, can I rent a bike from you, but all I've got is $20. I'm a reporter for the Washington Post, and I've got to get back uptown to, uh, to file and my notes. And uh, can you help me out? And he said, he looks at me, and he goes, well, I mean, I, I, mean, I might have a bike for you, but how are you going to lock it up? Like real New York guy, right? And I go, well, you know, maybe I could rent a lock from you, too. And he goes, hey, you know, it's not that kind of day. I'm going to give you a bike, but just don't lose it. And he wheels out this, like, canary yellow 
1974 Schwinn that weighs like 100 pounds. And uh, the color of the bike, it just like you practically had to shade your eyes. It was so bright. It was a ridiculous looking bike, but it made me just absurdly happy. Um, And I rode that bike all over town um, for, I don't know, the whole rest of the sort of reporting of the aftermath of 9-11. It really, it got me everywhere and um, under pretty tough circumstances. And, I, you know, I, I realized later what I really wanted to write about was the generosity of the guy in the shop because it represented the way New Yorkers treated each other um, in all those days. You couldn't go anywhere if someone didn't offer you something for free. You know, do you want some water? Are you hungry? Do you need to eat? And they wouldn't take payment for it. New Yorkers were really trying to take care of each other. And, um, you know, the column is about the fact that, that there was one act of spectacular, hideous evil that day but really hundreds of thousands of, of smaller acts of goodness. And that was summed up by a guy named Stephen Jay Gould in an editorial um, about two weeks after 9-11, and he, he wrote that very thing, and he pointed out that, um, you know, the evil didn't have to sort of win the day, you know, that the goodness hopefully won the day. That's what, what my takeaway from it and the notes that I made from it was that the bicycle and the story of the bicycle was the metaphor for the cooperative spirit that infused everyone who was still alive. Um, And you can, if you are a newspaper person and you are trained as a newspaper person to be detached to a degree, you can sort of put the horror behind you to the degree that you can participate in bringing the truth to the people about what you see. And the bicycle, of course, is your method of transportation. It's also the connective tissue between all the people that are affected. And the generosity of the guy who owned the bike to do this is striking in that moment. Everybody thinks of city people as being hard-bitten and, and, and not nice and not humane. And that was not true then, and it is probably not true ever. And then you went back to him some time later, did you not? I did. I went back maybe 10 days later, and I said, you know, I'm so sorry it's been so long um, since you saw me. And I had promised him, I was like, if you, if you give me a bike today, I'll come back here. I'll buy the most expensive bike in this store. And then he doesn't see me for, you know, like 10 days. And I finally came back in, and I said, you know, I don't know what you must have thought. You must have thought I stole the bike. And he just beamed at me, and he said, no, I knew you'd be back. Uh, you know, and he, he, I said, look, I really want to keep my promise and buy a bike. And he says, um, okay, well, which, you know, which one do you want to buy? And I said, I'll be honest with you, I want this one. Uh, <laughs> and he would only take $100 for it. But I was so attached to that bike by that point. And Michael Powell, who was the Washington bureau chief, he loved it. We called the bike the Washington Post Emergency Escape Vehicle. Uh, That's great. It stayed up in the office for, for quite a long time. Um, but, you know, it's also the column is really about uh, part of, Part of the, and I quote Steven Spielberg in the piece when he made Schindler's List, um, and someone asked him why'd you make it in black and white, and he said because for me life is in color, and you you had to make a film about the Holocaust in black and white, and nine um, eleven was really black and gray, you know, for me, like sure. there was no color that day. I mean, all of my memories are of the smoke, right, and the that that huge toxic cloud, you know. Um, I mean, it really covered this brilliant blue day turned very black and gray, at least, you know, for me, Um, and except for the bike, 
you know that's the color I remember the only color I remember from that day is that is that bike and it it uh you know it's the one happy memory I have of that day so 20 years is a very long time and it's nothing at all I mean if you were at something 20 years ago and it had a profound effect on you it happened this morning and everybody understands that and you can make stories about something in five years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years. You can do that all you want. Those people who live through it, they recall it instantly. There was a period of time, and I guess I'll get somewhat philosophical here. There was a period of time, and I believe this to be true, that sports really did help in the healing. It really did. When George W. Bush threw out the first pitch in that game, that to me was a very big moment that I cannot recall even now without choking up a little bit. Yesterday was the first big football weekend of the year. You make your living as a sports writer, as did I for many, many years. What are your thoughts on what sports can do, or are we overrating it and making it sort of a palliative that it doesn't deserve to be? No, it's, I think you're exactly right. I mean, I was at Yankee Stadium for that. And remember, Derek Jeter told the president, you better, you better not bounce it across the plate or they'll boo you. <laughs> He's like, you better get it across the plate. You know, it was so, it was a, that was another New York moment, right? Um, it, it was, it, look, here's the thing. Um, and we learned this again during COVID, and it's why people are so starved for sports during COVID and actually risking a lot to, to have them. Um, you know, sports. Uh, to me, sports are about about the vitality of living and try and stop people from playing. You can't do it. <laughs> you know, try and tell people you can't play, right? It's like telling them you can't eat. It, that, it's not going to happen. People will play, you know. Uh, it's, it's what we do. It's essential to who we are, I think. Um, and, you know, it's funny. I had a chance to leave the section during covid because there weren't any live sports and there were other sections of the paper needed writers and they were like, you know, recruiting sports writers to come join their staffs for the time being. And I didn't do it because I really, because of what I just said, I really felt it was going to be important to try to find some things to say uh, about sports during the, during whatever the shutdown was going to be. So I write down in my notes and I write down, if we talk about sports, does it seem slippery? Does it seem like we are ignoring the horror of what indeed happened? Does it seem like we are just going into another direction to make it easy for all of us? And I wrote that down, and then I thought to myself, actually, no. Actually, no. I mean, that sports, because sports always involves more than one person. It's not something you do by yourself. It's often communal, but at the very least, it's, all, it's you know, two people or four people or six people or eight people or something like that. And it gives them the chance to sort of reconnect with people, not to avoid the terrible things that happen, but to sort of, and not to wallow in them e- either, but to say, okay, that happened and this happens as, as well. Or am I, being, am I being sort of ridiculously melancholy when I say that? No, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I think that one thing that sports, you know, one thing we work out in, in games, like when we sort out the rules or we sort out the winners from the losers or, you know, the temporary winners from the losers, um, you know, we're establishing our values as a society, right? And I don't mean to sound like grandiose about this, but I, I think it's true. You know, like we invest these games with a lot of stuff about who we are or who we want to be. And, um, so I, I think, I, I mean, I think at least unconsciously, you know, that's what we do. 
and, um, you know, COVID was about sort of trying to, I mean, one of the big disappointments um, about the COVID season of 18 months or whatever it is now is a lot of that goodwill toward each other is, is, is gone. It's almost like COVID has drove, driven us apart uh, as opposed to what 9-11 did, which was drive us together. And I don't really understand why. I, don't, I think it has a lot to do with a judgmentalness, you know, vaxxers versus anti-vaxxers, maskers versus anti-maskers, you know. And I just, I just wish we would quit it, you know, and get back to just saying to each other, you know, are you okay? Do you need a bottle of water? That's great. Sally, that's wonderful. It's a, it's a lovely piece, as I said to you. I'm sorry you had to write it, but I'm really glad you wrote it. Thanks, Sal. We'll talk soon. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Tony. Thanks for having me. Bye. Sally Jenkins, boys and girls. Just, just look it up in the Washington Post. Go online and look it up. It's absolutely brilliant. We'll take a break. We'll have email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Framebridge ad. Framebridge makes it easier and more affordable than ever to frame your favorite things without ever leaving the house. Add a gallery wall. Michael and Liz have a gallery wall to your home, office, or send the perfect gift from art prints and diplomas to the photo sitting on your phone. You can Framebridge just about anything. Back to school photos. You can do that. Just go to Framebridge.com and upload your photo, or they'll send you packaging to safely mail in your physical pieces. Preview your item online in dozens of frame styles and gallery wall layouts. Choose your favorite to get free recommendations from their talented designers. The experts at Framebridge will custom frame your item. Deliver your finished piece directly to your door, ready to hang. Instead of the hundreds you'd pay at a framing store, their prices start at $39, and all shipping is free. Plus, listeners to this high-quality podcast will get 15% off their first order at FrameBridge.com if they use the code TONYK. Order online at FrameBridge.com or stop by a FrameBridge store to work with a designer or person. There's one on Bethesda Avenue. Yeah, in New York, D.C., Atlanta, or Boston, Philly, and Chicago are coming soon. That's great. Get started today. Frame your photos or give someone the perfect gift. Go to framebridge.com. Use the promo code Tony K to save an additional 15% off your first order. Just go to framebridge.com, promo code Tony K. Framebridge, F-R-A-M-E-B-R-I-D-G-E, framebridge.com, promo code Tony K. Use the code, people. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony's mailbag Got your emails, faxes And your notes Here comes Tony's mailbag Gonna read some for all you folks Little Beatles in there at the end my thanks to Ronnie Newmeyer and Tom Lofgren, who recorded that a couple of years ago. It's one of my favorites of all time. Nigel, you're back. Why don't you do the Bethesda bagel ad? Yes, it's so great to be back in the D.C. area and finally get a great bagel. You can't find one up in New York. Well, maybe you can. But the best bagels down here, Bethesda Bagels. Go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. That's just about it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me say, and this is... Echoing the Beatles, Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she doesn't have a lot to say. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she changes from day to day. I want to tell her that I love her a lot, but I got to get a belly full of wine. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl. Someday I'm going to make her mine. Thank you, Paul, for singing that. 
Thanks to our guests today, Michael Wilbon, Sally Jenkins. Thanks to our sponsors today, Framebridge Air Doctor, Plants to Porch. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. I assume they asked about me at Bethesda Bagel. Did they ask they did. about they him, said, Nigel? They did. They said, where's the, where's the better guy? Where's he? From Kevin in Phoenix, my friend, a fellow Little, and I have shared a fantasy football team for several years now. In honor of the show, we've used various names, such as Aloha Tower and Uncle Benny's Table. This year, we have chosen Chessie's Girl. I love that. Over the last few weeks, Chessie has become a more vocal part of the show, much to the host's dismay. We want to stick up for Chessie. The dog clearly has something to say. I assume Chessie is by your side watching sports on TV with you and might have an opinion on Wander Suero, Potty Gate, or Brooksy. Maybe little Luke Russert fell into a well. You put Saliza on the show, how much worse could a dog really be? At least make Chessie's Girl the official. 2021 Fantasy Football at Tony Kornheiser Show. It's really a great name. Great name, great photo. Chessie's Girl. Ian in Rutherford, New Jersey. On Monday's weekly interview with Wilbon, you opened by asking him if Northwestern's loss to Michigan State had him feeling chagrined. His response, no. A few minutes later, you asked him if the Georgia-Clemson game being an offensive game made him feel good. His response, no. We have moved past Wilbon not being surprised by anything and have entered the territory where he simply doesn't feel anything at all. How postmodern. It's lovely. Uh, so Graham Van Hook writes this from Connecticut Avenue. T.C. Williams class of 2003. I was yelling in my car today. It's T.C. Williams. That's where Rufus Peabody went to high school. Yes, with me. St. Albans, really? Do you really think a savant like Rufus would have been slumming it up with Luke Russert in the early aughts? Come on, man. What are we even doing here? Jeff Mock can shut it. Second-tier school. Outside of being the inspiration for one of the greatest sports films ever, we also cradled the great minds of Ashy, Larry, and Oswald from the Drew Carey Show. Exeter, more like X lax Graham Van Hook, angry, like that. From Connecticut Avenue. Yeah. They never let you forget that movie. Terry Tahara, Bremen, Indiana. Speaking of raccoons, my late father had a friend that had a raccoon as a pet. When it got to be too big to be roaming around his house, he built an enclosure in his backyard for it. For Nothing fun, wrong it, here. Huh? Nothing wrong here. No. For fun, it used to jump out of trees on your head as you were walking around the enclosure. <laughs> it was eventually released at a state park about an hour away. One day, my father was talking to a guy who had been to said state park, and the guy says, you'll never believe what happened to me at the state park. Without missing a beat, my dad says, a raccoon jumped on your head. The guy <laughs> fell down. My dad says, I know that raccoon. Thanks, as always, for the pod. From Peter Jennings, but of course not that Peter Jennings. Raccoons are simply more photogenic versions of rabies-infected rodents. Now in year three of losing the battle to raccoon families, destroyed my attic and caused thousands of dollars of damage. Now terrorizing the neighborhood, tried everything to no avail, including a pellet gun, but found out I shot worse than I putt, and now they taunt me at every turn. <laughs> Keep these garbage-gorging varmints out of the little house. Keep Chessie so socially distanced and safe. From Joe Farrell in Only Maryland, bonjour. That was a very poor home opener schedule by the Washington football team. They should have brought in UConn and local legend Randy <laughs> Dream Job Edsel. Look good in the third quarter. From Teddy Atanisio. What's up, Tony? I'm 31. I'm a surfer dude from Southern California. Been watching PTI since I'm 11 or 12. I was wondering if your PTI contract was like your favorite former UConn coach, Randy Edsel. Read the attachments. And these are all the monies that Randy incentives. Edsel gets. They're incentives. If you lead the game... In tackles for loss, he gets $2,000. If you lead the game in points for possession, he gets $2,000. The season points per game might be worth as many as $50,000 if they average 40 points. Well, he's out now. From Kaylee Weisenbach, with the return of the NFL, so happy to introduce my two-week-old masculine child to Reginald's song. My husband doesn't understand the song. 
but I'm sure Sam will love it as much as I do. By the way, Chuck Todd took a bath. He was like two and five. First week is tough. Jeff Ma was three and two. Carville was two and one. The monkey was one and two. We'll do one more here. Jimmy, Jimmy Schneider in Sioux Falls. That's South Dakota, I believe. As I type this, I'm on my deck with my family enjoying s'mores over our new solo stove. Yes, we did use the code. Thanks for that. Useful tip for others, perhaps. Dryer Link makes an excellent ignition source. And I got the spark shield. I'm, I'm now into the accessory game for the solo stove. So you stove. know how that works. Have, oh, you, yeah. have you used it yet? Still have not lit the solo stove. Okay. Jeff Smith, Oregon, class of 77. 1977, not 1877, you fossil, he writes. I heard you badmouth the Ducks in the Pac-12 enough. Eat crow, get out of your attic, and pay me, play me five, a $5 Nassau at Chantilly National in Toothless Centerville. <laughs> All right. If he's you're not out ready of, for that 76. Yeah. Uh, he's ready for the 94. Uh, if you're out on your bike time, everyone, as always, do wear white. Honestly, what the f*** are we doing here? Ruth would hit those homers after eating 50 francs. And what a sight it was seeing Hammer and Hank. Earl Campbell ran right over you just like a Sherman tank. Mr. Tony did a seven minute plank. Seven minute plank. Seven minute plank. Mr. Tony did a seven minute plank. Like the Beatles at the Cavern Club, the young girls are a screaming. He rises off the floor and hovers like Bobby Man. On the 18th hole, Tiger Woods would never hit a shank. Koufax in the seventh game, take it to the bank. This show stinks, it has stunk, and yesterday it stank. Mr. Tony did a seven minute plank. Seven minute plank, seven minute plank. Mr. Tony did a seven minute plank. I remember the 
time's busted and shiny dusted In Reno I had to sell my guitar But you kept believing that one day my grieving Would drive me to wherever you are To return home to my Texas Sister. 